0: We turn this morning to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7, and we read verses 31 to 37. As you find those verses, I want to ask you, how many things do you do well? One, two, three, four, five. We meet someone this morning who does all things well, and his name is Jesus, the one who does all things well. Mark, chapter 7, beginning at verse 31. Again, he went out from the region of Tyre and came through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee within the region of Decapolis. They brought to him one who was deaf and spoke with difficulty, and they implored him to lay his hand on him. Jesus took him aside from the crowd by himself and put his fingers into his ears. And after spitting, he touched his tongue with the saliva. And looking up to heaven with a deep sigh, he said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, and the impediment of his tongue was removed, and he began speaking plainly. And he gave them orders not to tell anyone, but the more he ordered them, the more widely they continued to proclaim it. They were utterly astonished, saying, He has done all things well. He makes even the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are the one who does all things well. And I pray that as we open your word this morning, that that truth would resound in our hearts so clearly, that we would leave this place rejoicing in who you are What you've done for us, what you are doing for us in our lives daily, and what you will do for us in days to come, even through all eternity. Lord, you are the perfect Savior, the perfect sacrifice. You do all things well. Teach us, we pray that, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're a fan of almost any sport you know that there are very few athletes that do all things well. I think of basketball. Someone might shoot well and run well, but not play defense well. In baseball, some might hit well and run well, but not field well. Rare, really rare is the athlete whom you could say does all things well. We've got a few in our church sitting right here, but... Uh, not all of them are like Grant and, and Nate um, and Damien and Matt and all the rest of them. So as Jesus walked this earth, people said many different things about him. But the statement that is made about Jesus in our text really separates him from everyone else. Verse thirty seven they were utterly astonished, saying, He has done all things Well, He even makes the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. I believe there are several ways in which we can note in this passage how Jesus does all things well. First of all, Jesus does all things well in His persistent seeking of souls. His persistent seeking of souls. In verse 31 of our text, Mark tells us how Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and entered the region of the Decapolis. And you say, well, okay, we know where he's going now, where he came from. Is that really significant? Yes, it is. Because if you go back to Mark chapter 5, this is very significant because the people from Decapolis, the region of Decapolis, had previously rejected Jesus. Remember the story of the man who was cutting himself, and lived in the cemetery, and was demon-possessed. Jesus cast out the demons, cast the demons into the pigs. Remember that? The pigs went over the edge into the sea. And guess what the response was to that? Mark chapter 5, verse 17 says, They began to implore him to leave their region after what Jesus had done to to change the life of this demon-possessed man, they said, get out of here. We don't want you here anymore. Jesus' first response to that was to leave a witness there because the man who had been demon-possessed had been healed. As they were getting into the boat, he wanted to go with Jesus. And Jesus said, go home. And tell your people what great things the Lord has done for you and has had mercy on you. And it says he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. So even though Jesus was told to get out of here, yes, indeed, he left, but he didn't take the man with him who had been healed. He said, you go and you tell what God has done for you. And there was that man daily, a testimony to the power of Jesus right in their midst. They could not deny what had happened to this man. He was the fear of the town. His life was changed. And so, day after day, Jesus left a witness there. Their response, get out of here. Jesus said, okay, but I'm going to leave this man here, and he will remind you of my power and my mercy. my grace. Here in our text then, Jesus comes back to Decapolis. They implored Him to leave, which He did, but He came back again. Again, verse 31 says, He went out from the region of Tyre, came through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee within the region of Decapolis. I would call that persistent, right? (laughs) Jesus knew they needed Him. They needed a Savior. And even though they rejected Him once, He came back persistent. Aren't you thankful that Jesus is persistent? Where would you and I be today if Jesus did not persistently seek for us? That's why He came, right? The Son of Man has come, Luke 19.10, to seek and to save that which was lost. The English poet Francis Thompson Wrote a poem in which he described the Lord as the hound of heaven. <laughs> what a picture, huh? Picture that hound that is just searching after, following its nose. I, I was out rollerblading the other day and I, I saw this guy walking his dog and the dog had a had his nose on some. He was just going through the weeds and just searching, find looking whatever he was searching after. I like mean, he was determined. To find what his nose was smelling. Jesus is determined to find you. He has come to seek and to save what was lost. And he is very persistent. Many years ago, someone snatched a six-month-old girl, Denise Weller, from her baby carriage outside of a drugstore in Harlow, England. I don't know what her mother was doing leaving her outside the drugstore. But that little girl was, was taken. And when the police were informed of that kidnapping, they began one of the biggest police hunts for a kidnapper in British history. A team of 200 police and detectives methodically questioned 75,000 people in Harlow. 320 newspapers in London and surrounding areas published questionnaires for readers to fill in, if they could give some help. And finally, after persistently seeking for Denise, they found her. The police chief said it was like a holiday here. I've never known the town to be so happy, (laughs) you can imagine that six-month-old six little girl was found. They were persistent because it mattered. A life mattered, right? And your life matters. That's why Jesus seeks for you persistently. He does all things well. Notice, secondly, Jesus does all things well in His perfect response to prayer. When he arrived in the Decapolis, some people bring this man to him who was deaf and spoke with difficulty. And they implored Jesus to lay his hand on him. Now, they had probably heard that, maybe seen that, that that's what Jesus sometimes did with lepers or others. He laid his hand on them and they were healed. But if you notice what Jesus did, he responded in a way that was a little bit interesting A little different than what they asked. 33 says Jesus took him aside from the crowd by himself and put his fingers into his ears. And after spitting, he touched his tongue with the saliva. Looking up to heaven with a deep sigh, he said, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And the man's ears were open and he began speaking clearly and plainly. So Jesus answered their prayer, but he answered it in a little different way than they had requested. One of the lessons that we sometimes struggle to learn is that the Lord knows best how to answer our prayers. This doesn't mean that we shouldn't come to him with specific requests, but we need to let the Lord answer our prayers In His way, He may have a little different way of responding to our needs than we might ask for, but can we not trust that His way is always best? Sometimes He answers in a very different way than we might expect. Sometimes God's answer is greater than we might expect. Have you had that happen before? When you prayed about something and God answered in a way that was even greater than you expected, even greater than you asked for? (laughs) Isn't it wonderful when you experience that, where the Lord just does something... Yeah, I hear your prayer, but I'm going to do something better. I'm going to do something greater. I read about a man who lived in a town where he couldn't find clothes to fit, and so he had have to order them through the mail. And at the bottom of the order blank, or the order form, was a, a box that you could check. And it said, if we have not the article that you order in stock, may we substitute... Well, he ordered something one day and he decided to check the box. And a few days later, something comes in the mail. And it said, we are sorry we don't have in stock the article you ordered, but we are offering you a substitute. And when he looked at the substitute, he discovered that what they gave him was double the price of what he had ordered. And he said from that time on, he checked that box as big as he could be and he wrote the word yes in huge letters. absolutely, if you want to substitute, do it anytime you want, right? Shouldn't we say that to the Lord? Lord, if you want to substitute, I might pray for this. But you can substitute. You can do a different way. You can answer my prayer according to your plan and your will, not mine. That's what happened here. Jesus healed him, but it was in a little different way. So sometimes when we pray, God's answer is, is different, sometimes greater than we expected. But... What happens if, from our perspective, God's answer is less than we expected? What if we're praying for something and we're really wanting what we're praying for, and yet God answers in a way that we say, hmm, that's not really what I was expecting. Can we still trust that Jesus does all things well in His answer to our prayer? Or are we much wiser than He is? Of course not. And yet sometimes our prayers answered in a way that we're just thinking, oh, really? He does all things well. and We need to trust Him. A lady was overwhelmed with grief as she came to church on Sunday after her mother had died. And just before she reached the door, there was a seven-year-old boy who met her and he said, I prayed for your mother, but she died. And she wanted to just wrap that seven-year-old boy in in her arms and, and, and comfort him, but it's obvious that he was seriously disturbed. Here I prayed. I prayed that your mother would be healed. And the prayer wasn't answered. And so after a minute she said, you wanted God to do what's best for my mother, didn't you? And he nodded. Then she said, well, he, he answered your prayer. His best for my mother was to take her home to live with him. The little boy paused for a minute and said, that's right. He did. He answered my prayer. <laughs> yes, he did. Do you want God's best when you pray. Then we can trust that He does all things well in His perfect response to prayer. The third thing we notice, Jesus does all things well in His personal concern for people. Very personal with this man. When Jesus met him, it's obvious Jesus felt compassion for him. Verse 34, we see that Jesus gave a deep sigh, a deep sigh. And I wondered what what was that sigh all about? What was it that caused Jesus to do just kind of wonder if it was just a recognition of what sin has brought into the world? How sin has brought sorrow and suffering and illness and diseases and death. The the curse of sin, what it has done to our bodies. And and maybe Jesus was just sighing as He's thinking of of how long it would be before the world would be redeemed and Jesus would come again. And and so He groaned. It's interesting, in Romans 8.23, we find the same word translated Deep sigh here. It's, it's the word that's translated "groan." Romans eight twenty-three. Paul says, "We groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies." So we aren't the only ones who groan in pain. Jesus groans with us. He is personally concerned. About our need. And so he saw this man in his need that day. He sighed. Identified with him. And then what he did for him is really quite interesting because he touched this man in a way that he could understand. Speaking words to him, he couldn't hear. So how are you going to communicate to him? Richard Lenski says that Jesus used sign language. He put his fingers into the man's ears as if to say, I know you can't hear. Then he touched the man's tongue as if to say, I know you can't speak. And then he looked to heaven as if to say, here's where the the healing comes from. Here's where you're going to be changed because of God and what he's going to do for you. I want you to know that your healing comes from above. And then Jesus took him aside from the crowd by himself. By himself. Isn't that interesting? In the midst of that crowd there, Jesus had concern for that one man. And he spent that time alone with him. Took him aside. By himself. In the midst of this group today. Jesus has concern personally. For you. As an individual he cares for you. He knows your need. He knows your situation. He knows your circumstance. And he would as it were take you aside. Eyeball to eyeball. One to one. And minister to you in your need today. Jesus often did that. Remember blind Bartimaeus by the roadside begging? There was a crowd of people and he's crying out, have mercy on me. And they're saying, shut up, be quiet. Jesus said, call him here. And Jesus dealt with that one man in the midst of the crowd. How about Zacchaeus? The crowd was so big. He had to climb up in the tree. And yet what did Jesus do? He said, Zacchaeus, you come down. I'm going to come to your Your house today. And my father was in seminary. Those of you who knew him will understand this. But one of his seminary professors said, Herb, you're too personal. Because he was very personal in his preaching. And uh, my dad was as old as some of the professors because he went to seminary in in his late 30s. And he said... Now, this is how he described it to me and I can imagine him doing it. He says, let me tell you something. (laughs) He said, Jesus called Zacchaeus by name. And if that's too personal, he said, well, I'll stand with with Jesus. (laughs) That's what Jesus did. He took this one man in the midst of the crowd aside and he dealt with him one on one. He does all things well, doesn't he? And then notice, finally, Jesus does all things well in his primary purpose for coming. His primary purpose for coming. It's interesting, after the deaf man was healed, Jesus told the people not to say anything about it. Verse 36. He gave them orders not to tell anyone. When you read that, it's kind of, Puzzling, is it? It's like, well, why would you not want him to say anything to anyone? And Bible teachers have come up with several reasons for this. But I believe the best explanation is this, that Jesus' primary purpose for coming to this earth was not just to heal the body. Why did he come? He came to bring salvation, eternal life. Oh, yes, he healed and many times he did, but... We see his primary purpose. Go back to Mark chapter 1, verse 32. When evening came, after the sun had set, they began bringing to him all who were ill and those who were demon-possessed, and the whole city was gathered at the door. Imagine that. That's Capernaum. It says, He healed many who were ill with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he was not permitting the demons to speak because they knew who he was. And so you picture that scene, you've got the whole town at the door, and one after another, people are being healed. So what do you think the people in Capernaum are thinking? Wow, let's go get some and bring them here. Jesus will heal them. And so, early in the morning, while it was still dark, verse 35, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. And so Simon and his companions searched for him. They found him and said, everyone's looking for you. What are you doing here? (laughs) And Jesus answered, verse 38, He said to them, let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that I may preach there also. For that is what I came for. Now think of it, all the people that Jesus healed, they all died, right? There isn't one of them that's still alive today, walking around Maple Grove, that Jesus healed. They all died, right? They needed to know of His salvation. They needed to know of His death and resurrection. They had souls that would live forever, and that was Jesus' primary concern. That you and I have a living relationship with Him. That we have eternal life because we have a soul that's going to live forever. This body's going to die. Someday I'm going to be put in the ground. But my soul will live forever. And if all I experience is a physical healing and I don't know Jesus as my Savior, how sad would that be? To die without hope. To die without Jesus. I remember hearing what one woman said about the ministry of Jesus. She obviously didn't understand why he had come to this world. She said, it's too bad that Jesus had to die. He could have done so much more good. Like, really? (laughs) Is Is that your understanding of Jesus? He came just to do good things? Too bad he had to die? What if he did not die? We'd be hopeless. But he died for us. He shed his blood for us. Now, when the people said that Jesus has done all things well, I'm assuming they talked about, they're thinking of what he had done here. Maybe what he had done previously when the demon possessed man was healed. I'm not sure they fully understood what. That really means that He does all things well. But we know that that is the truth. Jesus does all things well. Jesus lived a perfect life. He became the perfect sacrifice. He gives us a perfect standing before God. And one day He will give us a perfect body and take us to dwell in a perfect place. Now, how how much better can you get than that, huh? Jesus does all things. Things well. So do you know the one who does all things well? Have you put your trust in him? You ought to. You ought to trust him because he can save you from your sin. And since you can trust him as your savior, then you can trust him that he will always do what is best for you. You can trust him in times of trouble. You can trust Him when you don't understand. You can trust Him when things don't go the way you think they should go or the way you want them to go. Why? Because He has the ability to cause all things to work together for good because He does all things well. I read a story about a man, the only survivor of a shipwreck, and he ended up on an uninhabited island. And he gathered all he could from that shipwreck and he built a hut and just trying to survive and trying to get food to eat. And he was away from his hut hunting on the island. And somehow that, that hut started there. And he's thinking, oh great, wonderful. Everything I have on this island is gone. But that smoke that went up from that burning hut was what the captain of the ship saw. Ah, a smoke signal. <laughs> and he was, was rescued. Now well, to him, it's just like, what else could go wrong? You know? Shipwrecked. Only survivor. On an island. Everything I owned is up in flames. That's what the Lord used to save him. The one who does all things well. He is seeking for you today. He is concerned for you. And if you put your trust in him, he will save you. And you will know by personal experience that Jesus is indeed the one who does all things well. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for who you are. Thank you that you do all things well. We might not understand all the events of life. You might answer prayer in maybe a different way than than we might ask. But Lord, You are good. You are gracious. You are kind. You are loving. You are merciful. You indeed do all things well. Help us to trust in the One. The only One who does all things well. For we pray in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen.